Well, it's good to be with you today. I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors, and we are in the a middle of a series with James. I say middle, we got through a whopping one and a half verses last week, um, and we're going to just keep plowing through it, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But first, I recognize just a few minutes ago, we have somebody who I am convinced commutes the farthest distance to this church. Um, so Dave and Jan Santos is here. Um, they live in Brazil. Um, so they beat all of you Jenison people. Um, so where are they? They're somewhere here, I think. Will you stand up real quick? So there are some missionaries that we have that are serving in Sao Paulo in Brazil and in that area. Um, know that we are praying for you guys, and thank you for making the commute today. Um, that's insane. So, um, um, In fact, let's do this. Um, I want to pray for them right now. We need to. Um, God, right now for Dave and Jan, for their ministry and what they're doing, for their willingness to serve you, their willingness to be obedient to your call, I give you thanks for the witness, for the example that that is. But also, God, I ask right now that you would empower the ministry to do abundantly more, to do more than they could ever ask or imagine, to do more than they've ever dreamed because you take such hold of it and that you thrust it forward and that people are falling at your feet, coming to 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 proclaim your goodness and faith in you, to trust in you, that you encourage them when they are discouraged, that you empower them when they are tired, that you give them sleep and rest when they are weary. God, anoint them with your favor. Please, O Lord, through Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you for what you do, guys. Thank you. Um, It's been a few years. I just, I remember one of my kids, my, my wife, let me start with this, my wife loves to drink uh, just water with some lemon squeezed in it, all right? I love it because it's cheap and affordable, and so every Christmas for, I give her a huge bag of lemons for her gift, and she's happy, and um, she just loves doing it, so we have lemons all over the place all the time, right? Um, and I remember my youngest, this was several years ago, he wanted to do the same thing, right? That's what they want to do. They want to emulate mom and dad. And so he grabbed some lemon uh, and he started squeezing with all of his might and nothing was coming out. And I could see him getting frustrated. And I said, are you okay? And he goes, nothing's coming out. What he doesn't recognize, he had, he had grabbed the lemons that Melissa had already squeezed dry. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I said, no, try these, buddy. And I cut up some others and then he was a happy boy. One of the things that we jumped into last week was the fact that when, when the world squeezes in on you, when it presses in on you, when, it, when you're pushed, really, if you're a believer, others should see Jesus drip out, should come out. Um, and some of us are being pushed on and we're being squeezed and nothing is coming out. And I'm not saying that to tell you, man, I can't believe you're not doing more. I'm telling you that because some of us just need to stop and to recognize that maybe we are dry and we need to sit under that waterfall of God's grace that we speak about. We need to allow God just to kind of pour over us and to fill us back up and to to recognize his goodness and what he is really wanting to do in our life. And some of you are weary, you're tired, you feel like the world is pressing in on you and nothing is coming out. Jesus is certainly not coming out and you are just at the end of your rope. And my encouragement to you today is to instead of going, 
ah, I'm failing, is to actually go, wait a second, I need to sit under the waterfall of God's grace to recognize how much he loves you and to rest in that. And so that's what I want us to do for just a moment in silence. We need more silence in life. And so I'm going to give you just a moment to sit in silence and to ask one thing. God, fill me up. Holy Spirit, fill me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, fill us. When we are squeezed, may others see you. Amen. So we're walking through the book of James. And here's James, uh, written by the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, as I mentioned last week, very briefly, I said there's four different James that we know of in, the, in Scripture. Uh, this one is the half-brother of Jesus. We know that this is one of the earliest New Testament writings that we have, as early as even a couple of decades or less after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and James is a guy who wasn't all that enthusiastic about his half-brother saying that he was Messiah initially. He wasn't the guy who's going, yeah, that's my brother. I, I think he was the guy who was really skeptical and, and really, I think, looking at his brother going, who is this guy really? What's taking place? Well, as he got to know Jesus more and more, and I think especially through his death and his resurrection, it really took hold in his own life who Jesus really was. And he began to live a life so committed to who Christ, is, who Christ was, who Jesus was, in every single thing. In fact, it was after um, Jesus' death that James was, I think, truly convinced that Jesus was God's son. Uh, he began to worship him as an elder in Jerusalem. He was asked, um, at one point, he was asked to even recant his statement about Jesus being the Messiah. And he was not willing to do so. He refused to do so, and for that very reason is why he had his skull bashed in. Um, he was someone who knew who Christ was. He was willing to live for Christ no matter what. And here's James. He's writing, just to remind you, he's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered. We find that in the very first verse. He's writing really to the believer. He's writing to those who claim to know Jesus, who claim to, be a, um, to recognize who he is as Messiah, who claim to be a disciple, who claim to be Christians. And he's writing to them and he's going, okay, guys, you have to stay strong. You have to stay strong. A very short way of thinking about James. James paints a picture. James is painting a picture of one who has received the life-altering love and forgiveness of Jesus. If you've received his love, if you've received his grace, if you recognize what Christ has done, this is now what your life is going to look like. So it's all he's doing. And he's giving us that litmus test that we spoke about. He's, he's giving us that gauge as believers. And so some of you are going, hang on, um, I don't know if I believe in Jesus right now as my Messiah. Is this going to be relevant at all? It is, I promise you. Because 
whenever you're presented with who Jesus is, and you're going to hear it later on, whenever you're presented with who Jesus is, you then have a decision to make. It's one of two decisions. Either you're going to accept him, recognize who he is, or you're going to say that you deny who he is. There's only one of two decisions to make here. So you're going, it's going to be applicable to you as well. But here is James. He's jumping in here, painting a picture of one who has received the life-altering love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And what I want to do is I want to go ahead and jump into verse 2. Now, I know I covered some of this last week, but I want to read verse 2, 3, and 4 for you and begin there um, because I didn't quite cover all I wanted to in those verses. So let's do that right now and read this together. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. I want to read that statement again. Even that makes us go, wait. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He begins, and, and I apologize now, I'm having to read this because I memorized it in a different translation. And it is hard to unmemorize something like that when you've said it for 20, well, 35 years um, after you've memorized it. But I look at this and he says, Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because of the testing of your faith. What's it do? It produces steadfastness or perseverance. We know that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And when we hear those words, we already know, we established a week ago, a lot of us don't like the word joy. Consider it pure joy. Consider it all joy. And we don't like the word joy. Why? Because we know that the word joy is completely, completely rooted and founded in who Christ is. And so if we have joy, that means we can't be about us. And some of us love to live about us. We love to live in our woes and our miseries and our dislikes and our disgust and everything else. And that means you live in self and you cannot live in Christ and in self. You live in one or the other. And so we already don't necessarily like it because here he goes. He goes, consider it all joy when you face trials, meet trials of various kinds. Here's one of the things that you have to recognize as a believer. That trials are a certainty. Count it joy. It's a matter of when, not if. Any of you have a motorcycle? Raise your hand, please. I had one. It's all good. Some of our people on staff have a motorcycle. They always say, if you have a motorcycle, it's not, it's not if you crash, it's when you crash. Ever heard that before? Now, I'm not downplaying the IQ of anybody who just raised their hand. Because I had a motorcycle as well. I love them. It's just a lot of fun for me. And you just got to be very, very, very careful on them. Um, to me, it's trials and temptations, though. It's not a matter of if you will have them. It's a matter of when you will have them. So if your view of knowing God is, oh, life is now going to be without difficulty, you have painted the wrong picture of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because here he is, he's letting us know trials of certainty. It tells us there's going to be various trials of all types and it's by the grace of God that we can endure. Some of us need to know that hardship is going to come. In fact, if you know um, you're about to be in a fight, you have a better chance of winning. (laughs) 
It's when maybe life has come at you or maybe you, you even imagine someone you can watch videos and someone gets sucker punched. They don't know that a hit is about to come. And so that's when they typically lose because they don't know the fight is coming. Well, let me help you to recognize the fight is coming. Trials and hardship is going to come. Don't let it sucker punch you. Sometimes if you know that the trial, if you know that the hardship is going to come, then you can be better prepared for it. You can what? You can widen your stance. You can be ready for it to come in on you and not just push you right over, but to be able to stand in the midst of it. And that's part of what we're learning here. It says, listen, consider it joy because the trials, they're going to come. But that testing of your faith, it's going to produce perseverance. It's going to produce steadfastness. But I think it tells us a couple of characteristics about the believer. Now again, we know that James is writing to all the tribes, the people of God who have scattered because of the persecution. But I think we learn of expected characteristics, expected characteristics of the believer here from James. And he knows hardship. He knows difficulty. One of the things that we learn and, and about the expectations, the characteristics of a mature believer is this. First is that cr the Christian sees trials as a path to maturity. That's what that's stating. It's letting us know. Consider it pure joy. Why? Because you get to mature in it. You get to know Christ more. The, an expected characteristic of a believer, an expected characteristic is that you see trials, you see difficulty as a path to maturity. And so it doesn't mean you go, oh, trial, difficulty, yay. It means you go, trial, difficulty, if I give it to Christ, I can grow closer to him. And there are some going, wait a second, I've had way too many. I've grown, I've been there. Have you ever been like, God, I feel as though I'm growing enough. Anybody? I'm like, I think I'm growing, I'm good, God. I prayed for a little bit of patience. I didn't pray for all this. But an expected characteristic of a believer is that the Christian, they see trials as a path to maturity. You learn by falling down, by hitting the pavement, but then getting back up. Right, everybody, this last winter, one of my kids fell, trampoline, broke the arm, did a wonderful job, both bones. Um, yesterday, they did another flip on the trampoline. And I was so proud of them. Because they broke the other arm. Um, no, they didn't. Um, I was proud of them because it was, it was conquering that fear. And that's what we need to be able to do. And too many of us want to avoid it. And we think that we can mature the way that Christ wants without trial, without hardship, but we can't. It doesn't work like that. Um, A.W. Tozer, um, I was reading through some of his material, and he, he was painting a picture of the believer today, and I'm going to somewhat summarize what he says. He says, the believer today is a picture of sleepy contentment, never seeing the miracle of growth, never knowing the beauty of fruit because they're afraid of the plow and of yielding themselves to the adventure of living. And I think James is letting us know that the mature believer sees trials and hardship and goes, 
I can grow. I will give it to Christ. It's not a reflection of God not being a good God. It's a matter of an opportunity for me when I'm squeezed. I will drip Jesus. Secondly, a characteristic, an expectation of the believer is we, we, we have figured out that trials, they remind us of our need for God. They remind us of our need for God that we live in a broken world. We live in a world because of the fall that there's sin. And because of that sin, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be hardship. But we need God in the midst of it. We can't walk away from him. And you're going to see this more and more as we walk through this passage. When things are going well, we often see no need for God. We go, well, look at me. But it's through that difficulty and through that hardship that we go, man, I need to rely on God. And then we begin to praise him and to worship him because we know the only way we're able to get out of that hardship is because of the grace of God, the waterfall of his grace, of his forgiveness, pounding us and drenching our lives. So that's just for us, just a quick summary of where James is kind of walking with this, especially in these first few verses, because then it continues on in verse 5 and following. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let them, let this person ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is blown or driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded person, a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. We, We love to pray a lot here at Chapel Point. And we try to do it very intentionally, meaning we want it woven in to the fabric of who we are. We don't want it just to be a decorative element. We think that's the case for so many people. But in our prayers, how often are we praying for wisdom? It's got to be one of the things I pray for as much as anything else. Because I think we need biblical, godly wisdom in order to make wise decisions. But a lot of times when we're praying, I think a lot of individuals, what we find ourselves doing, right, is we're saying, God, can you help my kids with this? Or God, can you help my marriage with this? Or God, can you help me as I decide? I'm trying to figure out when to retire. Is it this year? Or do I wait another two years? Or God, should I move? Or God, should I do this? And we're we're petitioning. And God says to petition God to ask. And that's okay. But we need to be praying and asking for wisdom. Because biblical wisdom is all about God. And knowing and doing his will. And here he, in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. Right, we're talking about this wisdom is a biblical understanding of the practical issues in life. And we need to say, God help me to understand. Wisdom is understanding life in view of God, in view of who God is, in view of what God has done, in view of what God is desiring for you. It doesn't necessarily play along. We often think wisdom is common sense, common sense and wisdom. They, they can sometimes walk down the same path, often they do not. So you just got to be careful on that. But here what we find with wisdom And we're speaking about, he's saying, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He's going to generously give it to all who are without reproach. That's the kicker. 
He's going, to get, he's going to give it to those who aren't focused on self, who are above reproach. And he's telling us that wisdom is this understanding of life in view of God. We know that wisdom, and the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this to you about praying for wisdom, wisdom is not attainable from a human source. It is from God. It is from God. Later on in James in chapter 3, he speaks about it in verse 17, that that wisdom comes from heaven. And so we see that. And so we're praying for wisdom. We're asking for wisdom. We're needing wisdom in our life. And so we want to ask God for it. So that we can have a greater dependence on God. We recognize our need for God. If you're not praying for wisdom, you're saying, God, I've got enough, I've got enough on my own. I can figure it out. Don't worry about it. You're saying, I've already got all the answers. I don't, I don't need anybody's help. It's, it's as though if you're a golfer and, and pick your favorite golfer, they show up. It can be Phil Mickelson. It can be Tiger Woods. It can be Jordan Spieth. I don't care who it is. And they show up and you go, oh, I'm, I don't need And they say, I, I want to help you out. You go, no, I don't need your help. I'm good. It, it can be maybe you're a musician and you go, man, um, I, you love to play the piano. And you just started like three months ago and you have a Nathan Potter or um, a Deb Alley who's in our church. These great musicians and they come and say, hey, I want to just help you out. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to do this for you. I'd love to help you. And you go, no, I'm good. I'll figure it out. Do, do you ever approach God like that? Where, where you come and you really in life you're telling God, I've already got it all figured out. I don't really need God. If you're not praying for godly wisdom, you're telling God, I don't need you. I'm good to go. I don't know about you. Every day of the week, I'd rather choose what God wants than what Joel wants because he knows a whole lot more than I do. And so we want to call out to God for wisdom. We want to ask of God who gives generously to all. God wants to give you an insight to what he desires for your life. He wants you to understand that. Sometimes we think that knowing God's will for our life, having that wisdom, that understanding, is some secret that God doesn't really want us to know. It's not true. He wants you to be earnest in wanting to know about it, though. He wants you to be above reproach in wanting to know about it, though. Meaning, he wants you to really desire God for God and not desire God so that you can only chase after self better. And so we want to chase after him. We want to chase after him. And it says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. But let him, verse 6, let him ask in what? Faith. Let the person ask in not only faith, but in belief. Here's one way to think about it. The believer must Fight against doubt. The believer must fight against doubt. If you're going to pray, pray believing. Pray trusting in God. Otherwise, there's no need to pray. I want to run back to some other passages for us real quick. Um, 
just jot down, if you would, Mark 9. Absolutely love this passage. In Mark 9, just write it down because here is what is taking place. Um, all of a sudden, here's a guy, he's coming before Christ. And he's got a, uh, he's coming, this guy's coming and says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him uh, mute, and whatever, whatever it seizes him, whenever it does, it throws him down. He foams, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. They were not able, and he, asked, he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and it rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has he, this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into a fire, into water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. I so wish I would have known the tone of Jesus as he speaks to these people around him. And as someone comes to him and says, if you can do anything, and Jesus responds with, if you can? It's a matter of faith. He says, all things are possible for the one who believes, for the one who has faith. It's the same faith that the Jews said would move mountains, right? And here's one way you understand the depth of your faith because it tells us if you're someone who doesn't have faith, you're now that wave of the sea. You're blown back and forth to and fro by the world, by difficulty, by hardship, and you just never can get your footing. That's a great question to ask your friends. Is just say, hey, do you think that I'm someone who's stable in my faith, or do you believe I'm blown back and forth whenever difficulty comes? It's a great question to ask someone. And say, just be honest. I want to know. I want to learn. I want to grow from that. Another passage that reminds me of this, because it says, once again, we're looking at this passage, and it says, um, ask in faith without doubting. Ask in faith. But in Luke chapter 5, another passage for you to write down, Luke 5, 17 through 20, it says, one day Jesus was teaching. The Pharisees, teachers of the law, were sitting there. They'd come from every village in Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with, was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay before him Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this, they went up on the roof. You know the story, hopefully. And they, they dug a hole in the roof through that clay and through that dirt, and they lowered him down into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith. And this is what it says. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, the leaders at that point immediately go, who is this that can forgive sins? They, they missed out on one of the primary things that we need to be learning from. It wasn't always just about forgiving of the sins, but it was this faith element. That's what they were missing. It was the power of this faith, this belief 
in who Jesus was. And so here's James writing to all these people who are struggling, who have been cast out, giving a litmus test for the believer. And he's saying, hey, here's one of the things that you're going to do. You're going to pray with mighty, with powerful faith, believing that Christ is who he claims to be. Because if you don't, you're no different than someone who's being blown back and forth by the wind, by the waves of the sea. It's one of the things that we learn that faith does. Faith leads to stability in your own life. We know that in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. I mean, think, think of just that. Now, Hebrews eleven six, 6, heroes of faith, he's right. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's, a, it's an amazing passage for us. But here's James writing to all of these people who are struggling, who are undergoing persecution, undergoing difficulty, and he's saying, make sure you pray with faith. Make sure you pray with faith, believing that God can help you. Believing that you're serving something greater than yourself. Have faith. Now, one of the other things that we learn here, because we're looking at this and it says, let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded person, unstable in all of his ways. Faith is trusting God to direct your life. And faith, faith leads to Christian obedience. Faith is saying, I trust God more than I trust myself. Faith leads to Christian obedience. It's reflecting a lifestyle that's accepted God's grace, God's love, God's mercy. And here's the thing with faith. It's by faith that we are saved. That's it. You can't earn salvation, okay? But we need to understand, we need to learn that our faith impacts other people. Our faith impacts other people. What is your faith showing others? What is your faith revealing to others? Because we know that our faith impacts other people. And he tells us that we shouldn't expect anything from the Lord if we don't have faith. Now notice, I think the subject today is as much about having faith as it is walking through difficulty. And often when people think of James chapter 1, they're going, oh man, we've got to consider it pure joy, difficulty, hardship, I get it. And yes, that is so true. But we do it because we have faith in Christ. We can't skip the faith element. We can't skip what it is to have true belief in who Christ is. 
And this is what it's not teaching. It's not teaching that if you have faith, no longer do you have to worry about anything in this life because God's got your back. It's not saying that you have faith for that reason. It's saying that you have faith in your life. You have an understanding, a belief in Christ because it grounds you as you walk through those difficulties and you trust him in everything that you're doing and you know that his ways are greater than your ways. You know his thoughts are greater than your thoughts, right? And so you chase after that. One of the biggest questions we need to be asking today is actually, are we people of faith? True. I mean, deep-rooted, grounded faith, trusting in God in everything. Or do we sometimes hold something back? Because if you're not really a person of faith, it says you're double-minded. Two-souled is another way of looking at it. It's Double-minded means that you have a spirit divided amongst the world, between the world, and between God. And you're struggling because you're not sure which way to go. If you're double-minded, it's really letting you know that you have this external commitment to religion you have this external commitment to Christianity, to God, but inwardly you have no true devotion. I want to paint a picture for you real quick. Um, James is, is this book that I believe many of us go, man, that's such a great, I can't tell you how many people have sent texts or emails, I said, man, I'm so glad you're walking through James, I love that book. I think we love the book though because sometimes we romanticize it. That's what, that's what sells. We romanticize some idea, some thought, and, and so then we make a movie about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, and that's how love really is. And we all know as we watch the movie, that's not how love really is. And so we struggle with it and all these different things. And sometimes I think we romanticize James. What I love about James is this just flat out real life. And here's your measuring stick once again. And the measuring stick today is are you going to be a person of real faith? And do you approach hardship in a way that gives God glory? Do you really do that? Because he's letting us know. He's reminding, James is reminding the reader, endure, persevere, keep moving forward in Christ. You've got this. You can do this because of who God is. Ask of God without doubting. With faith, ask of God. And it's not asking God to alleviate the hardship. It's really asking God to allow this circumstance to be something that can be God, Christ, exalting in the end. But here's the biggest question for us is will we believe? Because if you're, if you're wanting to learn a lot from James, that's one of the first questions you have to ask. Am I really... 
I might have gone to church my whole life, but am I really a person of deep faith? Am I a person of belief? Am I a person willing to trust in God no matter what? And it's often determined by what you're willing to let go of. Another way to think about it is what do you hold on to most tightly? We'll get real personal for a moment about you, not me. Um, every single person in this room, everybody, just, we've done, everybody take your hands. Put them right out. I'm not going to ask you to wave them around or anything, I promise. Everybody got them out. If someone doesn't, poke them with your elbow, but gently in love and say God loves you. Everybody has something in their hand that they're grasping hold of more tightly than anything else. Everybody. For some of you, you're chasing wealth that you're probably never going to have. For some of you, you're chasing a career. For some of you, you're chasing, and you're holding on more dearly to your children than anything, where they can't even breathe. And you wonder why they run from the Lord later on. And I would tell you, allow them to know who they are in the Lord by themselves. <laughs> Some of you are holding, you're grasping hold of the home that you're in. And every spare minute you have, that's where you spend your energy and your resources. Why? Why do you do this to anything? Close them. Grip tight. Close them. Why do you grip tight to anything? Because that is what means the most to you. Squeeze your hands tight right now. Just squeeze them. Are you grasping hold of Christ this tightly? Or are you more like, well, when it hits, it hits. I'm asking for you to determine whether or not you're grasping hold of Christ. If you really believe in him. If you've placed your faith in him. Because if the answer is no, the waves only get taller. The waves only get taller. God, I come before you right now. And I'm praying, I'm asking, oh God, that you allow us to be a church that, that takes hold of you and holds more tightly to you than anything else in our life. That that's who we are individually, that that's who we are as a church, that that's who we become as a church, that's who we become as a community. People who grab hold of you so tightly that you matter more to us than anything else. God, James is so powerful in letting us know that really you need to matter more than anything else.
And so, Lord, if there's anybody in this room who is needing to place their faith, their trust, their belief in you, give them the strength to do so. Give them the humility to recognize that. Christ's name. Amen. My prayer for you is also going to be that you would have a faith and a belief that really does impact other people. And some of you are struggling with your belief and your faith. And as we sing here in a second, it's going to give, an, give us an opportunity to declare that. But some of you, maybe you need to go buy a bunch of post-it notes and just write faith on a hundred of them, and put them all over the place to remind you to live a life of faith, to live a life of belief. And I pray that's where you'll land. I pray that that's where you'll land.